Okay, hello, Marcus. How are things? Great to chat to you. How are things? Yeah, very good to um, finally say hello to yourself and, and get a chat going. Yeah, it's great. It's great. I'm. I've been watching your your stuff online there for a long time now, and I just love. I love your enthusiasm, your knowledge. You just kind of make me want to get out, go fishing anytime I see one of your videos. You know, it's great. <laughs> I think that's the best you can really hope for, isn't it? If you can inspire someone to just fish and get out there and and kind of feed off that vibe, then that's a that's a gift in itself. Just to kind of give to someone and. Yeah, that's that's awesome. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. Like, um, you probably see it over and over again. You're guiding. You're guiding. Are you full time guiding now, Marcus? Are you? Yeah. So, you know, with the seasonality of it, I, I have to do some winter work, and then as soon as that season kicks in, I struggle with doing anything else other than focusing on the fishing. I mean, it just it's it's a pure addiction that just kind of takes over, and then. Yeah, the, the full-time guiding starts, so I get a little bit of personal time in between uh, to fish some sessions, and then um, lots and lots of guided days now. Yeah, it's it's interesting you say that. Like, it does take over. Like, I only kind of, I suppose, last couple of weeks, really last week, start seeing a few fish, um, showing, start getting a few fish, and I'm, like, really back in the zone now, constantly thinking of where I'm going to go, what's happening, the weather. So it's really, you really get in the zone, don't you? It's crazy how quick that returns. I mean, I think as a guide, you, uh, as a good guide, you should be questioning whether you're saying the right things, teaching it correctly. And when you kind of approach any new season, you think, oh, am I going to be all right doing this? And uh, this, I think that's normal, but I... Uh, I just got straight back into it. It was like I was meant to be there. I, I really, on that first guided day, I mean, I'd said to the client, you know, it's pretty cold. It's like it's still early for this area a little bit. Um, and got down there and it, it all just came back. You know, it's brilliant. Yeah, I tell you, whereabouts are you? I, I see on one of your posters, a Chichester Harbour. Am I right in saying Southern England? Yes. So West Sussex, Chichester Harbour is kind of the, the main place that I guide. Um, but Not far from Portsmouth, pretty, like? I go as far as Portsmouth, um, and I personally fish over there a little bit myself, but I feel the grounds are, are vast around here, and you have to concentrate on these areas and get really good at them. Uh, and it's a, a truly massive harbour. Yeah, I see on a map there, you have this massive big kind of, it's very like backwater. Um, and I see a lot of your videos, you're kind of, you know, you're creeping around the estuaries and uh, it just looks like a massive, massive area there. Um, yeah, tell me about that. It's it's a playground. I swear it is an absolute playground. So, you know, the whole place is incredible with the historic side of it, the wildlife that you're going to see when you're out fishing. But then I think the uniqueness is there with the fishing as well. And we've got this incredible shallow gin clear water, um, bladderack and seagrass environment and a lot of top water stuff. You know, early season that they're not looking up. So we're still fishing soft plastics and, and that's how we're getting a few now. But it comes into its own with the top water side of things. Um and as you say, it's it's like a proper playground. You, you're creeping around and you're jumping over gullies. And yeah, a, a unique place for people to come and fish, I think. Yeah, it looks it looks great. And I have to ask you about, I see one of your recent videos, just, just it's amazing, really. Uh, it's You're in, uh, it's obviously the, the estuary there and it's really shallow channel. And you get this fish out of it. And I couldn't believe it. I had to watch it a couple <laughs> of times. Like there must have been only a few inches of water in that. Absolutely. And I think that's, I, I was guiding today and I said to the client, if I can just leave you with one thing, it's just change your mindset as to where you're looking for these fish. Um, you know, yeah, look tell me about that. Tell me about shallow. that fish, how he went about stalking that fish. Um, it's just, uh, it was just amazing, really. It's, you know, it, it, they are in such crazy places and over the past couple of years, I've started to really, 
I naturally go towards focusing on big fish. It's all I ever want. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the big ones are habitual. I feel that I, that's a, a great conversation to get into in a second with, with the nature of harbour fish in comparison to other places. But the big ones, they're definitely habitual. Um, they're going to be found in the same areas day after day, as long as you don't hook them and disturb them and all of that. They're just going to keep returning on these feeding zones. Yeah, yeah. And they know them. They know them better than you, and they are happy to put themselves in what looks like quite precarious situations, but they've got it wired down. Um, yeah, it's their environment, find- really, isn't it? It's their environment. They, As you said, they'll keep doing it until... Either we put an obstruction in their way or something happens that they say, hold on, this is not safe. We'll change our plan here. That's it. And and then when you mix that with all of your different tidal ranges and and where you're going to find them at certain times, it becomes kind of a, a massive place to look for these creatures going in all these nooks and crannies and channels and uh, lots of sight fishing, lots of just kind of knowing that they do crazy stuff so check in in silly areas um and that's what i love that's that's where i really get a buzz and you find this time of the year marcus that um the estuaries the estuary takes a little bit longer to get going and due to water temperature or i just find here it's kind of at the moment it's kind of slow here um kind of slow to get going in the estuaries and i just even doing a bit of wading there recently and i do notice the water was up until last week anyway was very cool still um when do things get going over there with you it's a massive thing over here with the the temperature i what i teach with my guiding is that the whole king catalyst is is uv um and the harbour essentially it it runs on UV. It requires a lot of heat to get going, and I liken it a bit like a frying pan. At, at low tide, it's it's dried out, and everything in there is being baked by the sun. You get this natural rot and decay from the UV, and then as the the next tide comes in, it, it flushes and warms, and it's it's an incredible area. But it does require heat yeah definitely yeah, yeah I, I know some spots in the estuary here that in the summer like very shallow very shallow but like a big exp- expanse not quite at the same level as you have there but like i suppose acres you've acres of sand right that's been warmed up and then the water comes in over it in the summer and it might only be like a couple of feet deep but um the bass are attracted to it it's obviously warm water and they're just they're all sitting there um, in these big big patches of water, warm water, and, and they're there all the time. Do you know that kind of way? Yeah, I I think, you know, that UV is responsible for the the breakdown of all the organic matter in the harbour. Yeah. And the harbour essentially is a set of lungs. You know, it's got a mouth, it's got a main channel, and then it branches off, and, and your nutrient exchange happens in the weed and the seagrass at the end of all of the, on the shoreline, on the intertidal zone. Um, it's kind of, it's integral to have that heat in there to, to, to cause that nutrient decay. Yeah, to kind and, of um, to breed life into it, I suppose. That's it. And, and taking it back to that kind of frying pan analogy, you feel the season click up and it, you know, it goes up at the moment. It's probably on about two or three just mm, just starting yeah, just starting yeah and then just clicks and clicks and clicks right up to kind of 10 11 in august when you get that nice big heat wave at some point and all the white bait enter the system and because it's all a big you know very intricate ecosystem with massive amount of variables and cogs yeah for sure yeah i was talking to somebody recently and I was just so surprised when they told me how far the bass they have found bass traveling up, up the estuary, like like up, up into fresh water nearly. They were so far up. I I just couldn't believe it. Like, but um, but they do push on way up. You find that oh, as well. A hundred percent. I'm. I mean, that's been the kind of how to put it. That's. 
that's responsible that that thought pattern of you know they will go there they will go higher they will go shallower um and just you almost don't believe it as an angler but they will and that's actually where some of your biggest fish are going to be found right at the top of these systems and there's a lot of learning to do to get to find them at the right time but they will move up there yes like you said with the with the shallow the shallow estuary there the shallow channels there you kind of you know psychologically it's hard for us to kind of get our head around fishing these things but once we think outside the box a bit and push it out a bit but then you realize that geez there is fish here and there could be some really big fish here too that you know where we wouldn't have thought about fishing before all of a sudden when you kind of push it out a bit um another little world opens up yeah and going back to them they just do the craziest things like that fish you were on about on the video behind me he's completely cut himself off so he's not gonna take the chance of going over that shingle he would he would literally have to belly slide a good 50 meters and like on his on his flank sorry um and i just don't see that he's going to do that but he knows that it's also not going to dry out and then he's only five minutes from a pushing tide so at the point that i'm catching him so he's they're putting themselves in these incredible locations um yeah, so just and to put it in context, you're kind of on a, it's like obviously a mud flat, you're obviously in the estuary that's dried out, and it's a little, it's a narrow channel, and there's only, I don't know, there's inches of water in it, um, and uh, we've we've seen all these, I suppose, um, situations ourselves in the estuaries, and there's there are little channels that you'd walk by on the way to a mark, or waiting for the tide to come in, but... Um, but not in this case. You you were you obviously knew there was a fish there, and you were targeting it. And as you said, um, the fish was there for a reason. He knew he knew where what he was doing there. And um, it's just it's just some somewhere that a lot of us wouldn't even think of trying. It yeah, uh, I totally agree. And my brain's a bit like it just keeps thinking and thinking about what they're up to. And um, and theorizing and and obviously with fishing you get a whole load of those theories that you think you cracked and then you realize you completely haven't um but that fish was the culmination of a couple of years of kind of watching that area and how some habitual fish were moving in and then dropping down at low tide and then coming back at high tide and using this another area and um it did take a while definitely took a while to to think of some of the patterns they go completely against what you think um i mean the biggest one and probably one of the biggest tips that i could hand out for free on here would be on the neeps you would assume that you know water's not making it so far up the estuary so the fish aren't moving so far up the estuary and then on the springs they're really going to push onto that virgin ground right up in the seagrass and yeah, and that's a kind of normal thought pattern, you know. They're going to move on the stronger currents and not. And the fact of the matter is, a lot of my biggest fish are found up the estuary on the neeps, right? Right on those low tide neeps because they're still staying high in the system. Um, so you have to. I mean, that even that wouldn't have come to me without being in there for so long and watching I, did you mean I, I is it was it the low tide neeps you find them there is that what you said yeah low tide neeps right but, uh, okay they're sort of waiting and they're still up there they, they obviously, they're obviously staying they're obviously not going out of the system on the low tide as you say they're they're they have it figured out they're comfortable to stay in these shallow channels and wait for the tide to come in again like so they're not leaving is that is that what you're trying that what you're saying am i right yeah, essentially, you know, that, but it goes against an angler's thinking of how the system fills and drains, you know. that It does. We just assume that the fish are gone, the tide is low, there's no fish here, they're gone. That's it. That's what we, that's what I've been guilty of thinking in the past. Yeah. And actually, you, you walk into areas that you normally fish on spring tides over the seagrass or something like that. And you've always been used to getting out of there because the spring tide drains right out and there's no water whatsoever. You then go into them on neap low tides and there's actually just a little bit of water hanging around in all those areas still. Yes. And that's often where you bigger fish are. Oh, that's, that's a brilliant, brilliant tip actually. Yeah, excellent. 
Yeah, I even, I even have stuff going on in my head at the moment. I just say it. I'm thinking, I know, I know where I'm going to be trying. Um, I'm going to be trying that theory out. Yeah. <laughs> but isn't that the joy of it? You know, these, these little things that you, you just start getting excited about. Oh, yeah, I could kind of try there on that tide. And yeah, and off you go then on a big tangent away on that. And for, for a month or two, you know, it's, it's just, ne- it's never ending. And that's, I find that's just, just what's brilliant about, um, bass fishing there's just just so much to it isn't there there is so much and um as a guide you've got to be careful not to overload clients because you've only got them for this set amount of time maybe maximum say 12 hours or so in the day yeah how much can someone really take in when you've got <laughs> someone with my passion babbling in their ear the whole time <laughs> yeah does it yeah i know what you mean you've a lot going on there um yeah, it's there's so so much to take in, but but then I suppose on the other hand as well, Marcus, um, we're all guilty of overthinking and overcomplicating it sometimes ourselves. Like, um, uh, you know, so it's it's kind of hard to get that balance right, isn't it? I I totally agree as well, and you know, I find lure anglers, uh, I find saltwater lure anglers in the UK are a very interesting breed they a lot of them have come from the freshwater side where there's a bit more finesse uh a lot of thinking and an angling you know like like actual that's where they've had their roots in in this light line kind of class angling um and salt water you're dealing with quite an amazing predator that's not so fussy at times so you don't need to overcomplicate it too much yeah that's true that's true yeah yeah on the flip side when you do mix that with finesse angling and you do think about your leaders and your knots and 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 tie in direct and and just everything getting everything perfect obviously your catch rate still goes up but you don't need to overthink it all the time i suppose it is it is different obviously and you know too well well like from my or from from a pleasure angling point of view it's quite different than when you're guiding and i suppose there's a certain amount of pressure on you to kind of to get get fish on a more regular basis like it doesn't matter to me if i'm going out on my own i don't catch a fish for a few days but if you have clients um you know there is i'm sure there is that little added bit of pressure and and then when you start drilling down into these tactics and um you know examining things like that that's where you kind of that's where that makes the difference i suppose for you um getting a getting into fish or not you know like if if you're out for a day's pleasure fishing you're not going to be too worried if you don't get a fish or not but i suppose when you're guiding there is that bit of pressure on isn't there and that's where your skill comes into play i i love that i i kind of i don't thrive off it sometimes i do feel it really really start to feel it when I, you know, your watercraft is, it, my watercraft is going to tell me quicker than a client nine times out of 10, that possibly we're in for quite a long blank on this set of tie, like where I've taken you. And I've always described, I mean, I skippered for a a number of years out in New Zealand. Right. And it was that's where I got all my saltwater experience. So I was there from kind of twenty five to thirty three as a charter captain, um, and yeah, thirty. I, I got back at thirty two or thirty three. I think thirty three, and it was there that I really, you know, I was getting kind of two hundred and fifty to three hundred days a year on the water. Right younger than i am uh, yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah you know like super super hungry at that moment and and really just kind of i was feeling pretty unstoppable while i was there it was it was a great time and all those days i was thinking constantly about that saltwater environment and learning um but yeah it's uh, i i liken the guiding to being on a whole nother level than a skipper. I know there's going to be some skippers that completely disagree that might be listening, but you turn the key on your boat, everyone sits down, has a cold can of Coke or a beer or whatever, and we move to the next spot. And sometimes they won't even know that for the first 
two or three marks, you've actually driven over them and hit them with the sounder and now, whoops, and you weave your way out to fish and yeah. the journey takes a bit longer, but you find them because you're, you've are you got all your electronics and you can keep moving at not the cost of the client's energy. Um, you might just have a little bit of a bigger fuel bill at the end of the day. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, no, it's, it's interesting. I can relate to that because I, I, I skipper charter boats here as well and... Yeah, totally relate to that. It's 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 a completely different ball game, as you said. You have you have your you know you have your electronics and and things like that. You know where I suppose when you're on the coast stalking from the shoreline, like you don't have you're using your own skills. That's all you have, your own knowledge and skill. That's it. And you mess that up with a client, and some of those walks might be, you know, a good decent walk, and they they they, ha- they don't have unlimited energy like you've got petrol in the tank on the boat. So yeah, and they're nearly expecting uh, we better get a fish after this, you know, two hour walk. Like you know, <laughs> yeah. And so I think you've got to be super accurate because you might walk a client in, and, and you might go, oh my god, the wind's in our face. It hasn't swung like the forecast said. Yeah, yeah. Uh, everything I thought that was going to be here is not here, and then you're like. You're on that tide. You've booked that tide and you've got to either eat humble pie super fast and work out how to get them back out of there to your next mark or work with the variables and, and see if you can do it. But yeah. it's, I, the guiding scary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I'd say it's challenging, all right, you know, but, but, but like, you know, it's, it's very rewarding as well. Um, any kind of guys I've helped down this way, you know, getting phone calls from from guys from the beach saying they're after getting a fish and they're they're delighted. Like, uh, it's brilliant. You can't beat it because we know no. you you know what it's like to get fish, and you probably still get a buzz. I got a fish the other day, and I was I was um I was buzzing because I put a bit of work into it, and uh, and you, so I so I know what it's like. And when I get a call from guys who have only started and they're getting this buzz, it's it's brilliant, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. What more can you really ask? Because you know what they're feeling like, you know, you know what they're feeling. And it's like, oh, that's brilliant. You know, they're hooked. Yeah. And and as we said at the beginning, it is a bit of a like you've you've given someone something pretty good at that point because you know that they're going to keep running with it. You know, they've hit that buzz and that's it. They are and they're going to keep going now. Um, And that's the best you can ask for as a guide to get those messages. I get them and they say, you're responsible for a lot of, you've got a lot to answer for to my missus. Yeah. (laughs) And then uh, then the thousands, thousands of euro worth of gear and lures they're buying after all that. Yeah. Oh, I I love it. I I do get a few of those messages, to be honest. And um, I just, it's hard to know what to say because they, they, I feel them really deeply, but I usually just get a thank you. I just send a thank you back in an emoji of a, slightly blushed face because i really do they're massive things to me when when a client goes on and just runs with it and you see where they end up and they're catching huge fish and they're like you see the photos and they've changed their waders they've got brand their gear's gone up like five six hundred quid from when you saw them yeah yeah you're like okay i created a bass angler there you know yeah brilliant yeah it's brilliant um and I see, actually, I want to ask you, your, your pictures, you have some fantastic pictures. Um, do you always have somebody to take a picture for you or how do you do it? Because uh, I love your shots, like. So, if you go onto accessibility on your iPhone and just click on voice control. Yeah. And then just stick your iPhone on a tripod on portrait. So you have your tripod, and but just, you look like you're another you know, ones in you when you're you're actually in water, like you're up to your waist in water or somewhere you're kneeling down. Do you have do you have a kind of a, a, a high tripod or something for the phone? Do you? <laughs> iPhones don't last me too long. Um, I've just got a normal little Amazon seventeen ninety nine tripod, and it blows over in the wind and all sorts. <laughs> yeah, that was a cracking job though, because they're, they're great shots. Like you, you've, like if anyone's interested in getting a good. Um, or, or learning how to you know hold a fish and getting a good shot I'd check out your pictures on Instagram they're great shots like oh it's all smoke and mirrors I'm sure you've, you've had plenty uh, of practice by the looks of it <laughs> yeah. 
I see. Look, well, from what, what what I do see from you is you're you're exceptionally good at um, top water lure fishing. Um, tell me a bit about that, or what's your kind of lures? I, I know you work a lot with uh, fish house lures, and I've actually got some of them to try out, and I'm um, really looking forward to it. Um, tell me about a bit of top water stuff. What's your approach, or what's your what's your kind of go to lures? Um, you obviously you obviously enjoy it. Oh, is there any finer way to catch a fish, to be honest? Oh, um, yeah, it's brilliant. You can't beat it. Top water is just beautiful. You you can be in control of the bite as an angler. You get to witness how they come in, and each one's got its own different aggression. And oh, you just, the noise, every, everything about it is Yeah, beautiful. all the senses, like, isn't it so visual? It's so visual. You're watching, watching, and then, you know, you hear the splash, and then, you know, you feel the rod going over and everything happens so quickly. You know, you don't even react. You're kind of, Sometimes you're just stunned. And uh, so all the senses are, are heightened. It's just brilliant, isn't it? it? Top water is unreal. And I am super, super lucky that Chichester Harbour really is a top water mecca. It's it's desired, like it's really great for a top water angler. Um the nature of it just being shallow and how the fish sit and ambush within this all over through the weed and everything. Um, yeah. Top water's the way through the summer, as we were saying about the nutrients and all of that and the warmth, they are looking up that, that top surface layer is where all of your fry are going to be filter feeding on chlorophyll and all of the stuff that's washing off the tide lines each day. And those bass are looking for their prey, looking up quite often. Um, so great. Yeah, we're blessed. We're, we're absolutely blessed with with this place. Um, you know, Chichester Harbour is seventy four square kilometres. Wow, that's um, massive. Think, yeah, yeah, absolutely massive. So, topwater paradise, to be perfectly honest. And I'm going to argue, black and blue, that it might just be one of the little top water destinations for saltwater in the uk um yeah there is for sure other estuaries but this place is very special it's like some of the some of your shots like the, with the seagrass and all you're nearly like you're up in some backwater in florida it looks it looks like you know it's just um it's it's brilliant looking i think there's a lot to be learned from their waters as well if you watch how they approach top water and where they find fish like the, the inland stripers all up the delaware river and then like how they're catching redfish right up in the gullies and the seagrass there's a lot of um correlation between the, the fisheries you can you can watch some of their stuff and then go and hunt similar areas in in chichester but um i'm a big fan of top water we use yeah. a lot of small stuff here, so quite small top water. Small lures, yeah. I actually got I got some of those. I said those those um, fishos Lorenzo lures. I got a lovely. It's a very small. Um, is it the Espetite little small surface lure? Um, it's only like I think it's only like seventy. 70 millimeters or something a little tiny little one but i think that's going to be deadly uh in the estuaries and a nice calm calm mornings i can't wait to get out and use it they are killer and and i actually put a, a brand new one of those on today um because when you're with a client i think there is a certain time if you if you're really stuck to find fish then it's good to have the the guide actually have a few casts around you with a, a few different things so you can quickly cycle through and see if they're there. Yeah, yeah. And I put that thing on and, uh, yeah, wow, they're, they're brilliant. I, I was kind of reminded again today how brilliant those little things are. And you, um, like, do you, do you use that little small one as well? That little small, I think it's only like seven or eight gram, but it's, my God, it's 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 brilliant looking. That was the one, yeah, 70 oh, was mil. It? Yeah, so yeah, I, yeah. I put the 70 on and we we went through, so they do a 70, a 95 and a, a 110. Yes. Um, and a 70 is brilliant. My fear is they'll get absolutely inhaled. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My fear is a, a massive bass will take it, which I'm sure it has um, in the past uh, for you. But uh, um, how do you, how do you, how do you work those? Marcus? Uh, I I think I have a slightly 
different. I mean, it's not going to differ to everyone's, but I have a slightly different top water approach. In I really like to work a tight rod tip, so higher um, tempo on the rod tip than most, but slower retrieve. So really, just giving as much panic as you can, with as much chance for that fish to kind of his instinct goes well. It's obviously panicking like hell. It's fresh. It like I can't really make out exactly what it is. I'm just seeing flash blank the whole lot. And it also is falling in the parameters where it's kind of achievable for that fish not to tail slap it. He doesn't want to knock it out because it's not going too fast. He just wants to come in and just one bite. You're just looking for a clean hookup. So Excellent. I think yeah. you are in control of the the way that you get these fish to react, you're, you're surprisingly more in control than you think. Yeah, you made some really, you made a couple of good points just in that little segment there about, first of all, you know, moving, move, giving the lure movement um, without moving it too fast across the water, I think is, is, is one key takeaway because you want to give the fish a chance to hit it, of course. Um, yeah. And to like, you know, as I said, I was chatting to, to um, Mark Cowling about it as well, and it's nearly a fine line between, you know, giving the fish uh, too much time to, to to decide, or you know, and and or else or else kind of you know stimulating him into just committing to it. So you don't want to show him too much of what's going on, but you want to kind of confuse him, as you said, confuse him enough to think, well, there's something going on there. That's a fish in 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 bother on the service, and I'm gonna, you know, and they're gonna commit to it fully commit to it but you mentioned another interesting point about you know if you're moving it too fast or whatnot and sometimes a fish will come up and slap it to slow it down and stun it that's a brilliant point and and you just touched exactly on what i was saying with the parameters you want to fish within that parameter that you've got to fire him and he's got a he's got hardwired instinct that he's going to move on to your lure out of uh, just he's just going to go for it you'll fire him up and then at that point, it's got to be achievable. So it's got to sit within not too fast and not too slow. It's it's a fine line. And then again, you'll change your retrieve as an angler, depending on where you're fishing, what stage in the tide you're fishing, how you, if it's in current, if it's, I was, I was teaching my client today, the, the top of the tide through the bladder rack is what I call the stationary stage. They found where they're happy. They're sitting in the bladder rack. They're probably completely stalled and, and just stalking ready. They'll eat anything, but you don't want to bring a lure fast over their head because they can just ignore it at that point. Yeah. Or you'll definitely get them coming out of such a stationary mode. They won't feel comfortable to eat straight away. They'll feel comfortable to give it the almighty whack as it comes over their head. But that's not a clean hookup. And sometimes I'm almost convinced that you've fired their instinct without them realizing it. And then they clear their head when and they're like, whoa, what have I just done? I've messed up. And yeah. then you don't get, the, <laughs> yeah. don't get the bite. Yeah. I don't know if you notice, but I notice with, you know, with the bigger fish, if I'm working a surface lure really slowly with a bigger fish, he just needs one chance at that. All you hear is the one slap, boom fish lure gone and there's no messing about i find with with the bigger fish once it's presented properly for them because as you said i don't think the bigger fish will he probably won't bother chase if it's going too fast past him he probably won't bother um but if it's going nice and slow presenting it nice and slow from i just find with the bigger ones they only need one one take that's all gone yeah so it depends how they wake up doesn't it yeah <laughs> yeah it feels like I, I totally agree, though. You are hoping that that bigger fish just is such an accurate kind of well-versed hunter that he just smokes it in one. And yeah. then, as you were saying, there's endless topics because he, if he goes for it, it's not going to act how he thought it was going to act when he collapses that water around the law. It's not the same neutral buoyancy as what he thought he was just attacking. And you might be right at the point where you're just about to twitch it. And if he misses it, he's also 
got so many years behind him and he's so well versed in it that he's not going to come back. That's that's enough to have spooked him as well. Yeah, so, yeah. That's that's interesting. And and the one thing I, I noticed as well, I missed a few fish by, you know, as you said, I have the rod tip up high, I'm working the lure. Next minute, as you said, I'm just about to twitch it again. The fish comes and gets it and he takes it but i have a habit i had a habit of kind of you know you don't have a habit of pulling pulling uh, trying to strike it strike to strike the lure to set the hook maybe but what i started doing instead of that when he takes it is just drop the rod down in front of me to the water so give him a bit of slack so he's coming up taking the lure diving down so instead of pulling the lure out of his out of his mouth um i, I drop the lure down give him plenty of slack and then and then i'll set the hook when he's when he's on his way away you know that kind of way that's a really interesting technique and not one that I personally do. I don't, I, I maybe our fish are, I would say they're sometimes not so big in, in the harbor here, but um, no, I don't do it. I, 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 I've maybe combated that slightly by, I use a soft combo. So I'm, my rod's nine foot, but rated to 24 grams. Ah, yes, so yes. So if he, and I don't really strike into fish. I just make sure hooks are sharp and let them load. So, yeah, it, it, very interesting. Yeah, yeah. So you you let the rod, I suppose, do the work. So he'll come up, take the lure, go down. Your rod is your rod is um, flexing, it's bending over, um, and it's taking that, or it's allowing him that little bit of, I suppose, that kind of uh, slack and that leeway to take take the lure in. Um, yeah, so he gets he he you know you're so you're not you're not pulling the lure from him or, or out of his mouth in in my case which I did. <laughs> Essentially, but your tactic there, I would have to say that's you. That's a hard one to pull off time and time it, again. It, it is because you're going against accuracy. Yeah, you're going against your natural instincts because you know your natural instinct is to kind of you know firm up on the fish like um, whereas. You know, to try and to, to drop the rod when he's after taking it, you know yourself, especially when you get a take, like everything happens so quickly and, you know, you don't even have time to think a lot of the time. So um, it's, it's sometimes it's really hard to react. Yeah, that's that's the joy of it. As you as you see more and more bites, you build just a kind of you build your muscle memory. You you just start to react better to them, don't you? You, you kind of. I think, especially, oh, I've got to be very careful in this day and age, haven't I? But there's women anglers are far superior in many ways, let's face it. But, and both <laughs> genders, <laughs> God, people will be turning off in a second. Yeah, yeah. Both yeah. Have I'm just making a little note here. I might have to edit this bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, oh, yeah. but, I may, like, we have in us an innate ability, especially males, to go out and hunt and focus solely on one thing and to that was our job. That was we had to bring home the goods. Yeah. And yeah. I'd say, you know, women are fantastic at multitasking. I'm very envious of that. But that's because you might have had kids running around you and there was lots of stuff to do. Whereas really our job was to do not come home unless you're bringing the meat. And yeah. Over time, we've got this incredible mechanism within inside us as an apex predator that we kind of know when it's about to happen. If you're out, if you're out there honing that skill and honing that instinct, you start to react correctly to more and more bites, don't you? You just it's we've got that within us. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I know what you mean. And um, you kind of yeah, you kind of. Um you know it's your instinct it's like it's like i fish a lot at night and you know you're kind of i you just notice that you get into a zone and you're fishing on instinct you know where the lure is landing you can tell by the feel and by the, the speed of your retrieve um you know how fast you're bringing in the lure and then you can nearly sense you know you get a little tap tap first uh, and before the before he hits it hard so you're kind of basically you're you're fishing on instinct after a while in, in at night you can you know you can get your lure and i can actually check my lure without turning the light on make sure there's no weed on it and you're casting so everything is done on instinct yeah 
and and we're an, an incredible creature that has that ability to learn really fast in a in a hunting environment um because our survival kind of depended on on being able to do that um and i think as you say with angling stuff becomes you, you can get really good really quickly because you do start to run on instinct when you're in these places especially when you're away from technology and you actually are in the environment that we were meant to be in not in this concrete jungle um these skills come back to us very quickly yeah yeah absolutely 100 percent. yeah and tell me you know that you know when you're top water fishing and you know the days when you know you get all these chases and follows and hits and and whatever you do um the fish you just can't get a hook up um, i'm sure you've had plenty of days like that is there anything in particular that you you can you, you've have found has worked to maybe to get them to commit more put a soft plastic on if you really want yeah. one. Um, <laughs> that's the easy way yeah yeah well it's funny but it's funny you mentioned that, that retriever yeah slash that retrieve across the top really really slash it and try and get a totally different reaction out of them try and just get them to eat out pure instinct i would say 90 percent, or maybe 70 percent of your bites are that anyway it's just a reaction bite um and then maybe in the last 20 percent of the chase which is you know a couple of milliseconds before they come onto your lure they sight it and they they're happy and uh if if you just change your retrieve sometimes and tighten it up and slow it down mm. moving across the water as we were saying I've found that will make a big difference. It'll it'll kind of cut a lot of those tail slaps out and missed hits for sure. Yeah, there's nothing more exciting and frustrating than seeing, you know, I'm sure you've seen it plenty of times yourself when you see this bow wave coming in behind your lure of the bass and he's following it in and next minute he veers off at the last minute and, you know, doesn't doesn't hit the lure. It's um, it's it's great to see it like, even if you don't get a hook, a hook up, it's, it's still very exciting like. Oh, the the old torpedo bite. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> they are notoriously your bigger fish. Yeah, I yeah. truly believe they're coming in to get close into that law, and and that's the worst case scenario because right there, the chances of catching that big fish, he's coming out of a few different scenarios that's the worst one you can have. You know. Yeah, he's checked it out. He's come, come in. He's checked it out, and he's like, no. Not for me, not for me. <laughs> Occasionally it's pure poetry because they just, and it's like there one second and then just, we're gone. And it's like you're on in, and it's just beautiful. But nine or eight times out of 10 or so, they, they're going to come in. They're going to get real close. They're going to watch it, watch it, watch it. And if, if you do anything, and you don't really know what you need to do either. You don't know whether you need to quickly flash it and then pause it, or you don't know whether you want to just tighten it up. Or you just you just stay exactly doing what you're doing. That's your call at that moment. Um, but the chances are he's going to fade away. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, do you do you fish at night at all, Marcus? I don't do a lot of night fishing. Now I know that that's something that I really should be venturing into more. Um, and last season I guided a couple of days where we'd start at kind of two 30 in the morning. Um, I'm looking here, I've got one on, we're starting at kind of early, early hours in on Friday, the 26th. I can see one there. Um, but it's not something that I do a lot of. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure if I did, I would be catching bigger fish. I quite like my sleep. Yeah, like, <laughs> like us all. I like sleeping at night and fishing during the day if I can. <laughs> yeah. I uh, am much more inclined to be found in bed at night. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> yeah. And it's not something that has completely kind of uh, grabbed me with enthusiasm. Like, I... I I can see how, and I've fished at night for them, and it is a wonderful thing when that rod just goes and, and it's all feeling and there's, there's a great excitement that goes with it. But I also think that 
a lot of the reason that I fish is just to be out in nature and, and Chichester Harbour is beautiful. It would be a shame to just spend a kind of night after night, not with all the wildlife and views and vistas and yeah, I get you. So, yeah, not 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 being able to take it all in. It, it's a different experience, completely, isn't it? At night time, there is a real allure to that. I, I can see why that's really, really good. Um, and as I said, I, I do fish at night occasionally, but I'm definitely aware that a lot of good bass anglers are fishing at night and understanding that this is a creature that we shouldn't kind of anthropomorphize. It, it can see perfectly well and hunt at night just because we think we sh it, it would struggle. It's actually that's when they're obviously more active and that the kind of odds are in their favor over a lot of their prey. And anyone who understands the ocean understands that a lot of that activity happens at night. Um, loads of things move around scuttle about at night and use uv there's a, a massive amount that we don't see in the ocean because our eyes aren't attuned to it but yeah, yeah. at night time it's it's a whole nother world under there at night that's a lot more active so um i do get it i just don't do it <laughs> yeah no i'm convinced well i'm convinced um that you know especially at night like I think they really kind of use their sense of vibration, you know, picking up these vibrations at night. And um, it's just fascinating how they can find these lures in the dark, um, uh, you know, like wobbling lures or a rattle paddle tail. Um, it's just it's just fascinating how they can home in on something um, so small and uh, so accurately uh, in the dark. It's, it's brilliant. They're, they're truly incredible. The whole physiology is all physiology of a bass is um they're just like a big receptor to vibration there's very few fish in the uk that have such a lateral line dominant kind of hunting attitude they they really do use that lateral line the bass and as you know taking it back to that retrieve on top water you're really just aiming to smack his lateral line with the right signals to just go for it yeah um and yeah. then at night time yeah they're using that to levels that we can barely understand it's just a big organ that's picking up vibration and frequency yeah yeah and you know what about night fishing but we uh, we have issues here with with colored water um, i'm sure you have your fair share of um colored water in the estuary as well does that pose a problem for you or do you just fish through it or have you adapted to it we, we all know the fish still feed in the colored water but um again it's our mindset as well that when we see colored water nah not gonna we only half-heartedly give it a go or we, we don't even fish areas at all do you how do you deal with that i truly believe that that brings the angler a, a great opportunity because like we were talking about those horrible torpedo bites and they're often bigger fish. Well, I guarantee they're not going to be doing that in bigger water, in dirty water, but they are still there. And that's actually when, if you've identified a zone where you've had some dirty big follows and not hooked up, the chances are if, if that has a tendency to be an habitual feeding zone for them, go and target that when you've just had in the middle of summer a really big blow. It's all colored up and they're still going to be there but you've taken away their ability to be wary so they're going to be hunting super accurately back on their lateral lines uh and you're going to actually use it to your advantage and get your biggest fish of the season most likely in that colored water in the middle of summer excellent yeah interesting how would you approach a bit of colored water marcus uh fish noisy fish a nice big top water and okay, trust yeah. Either that or a, you can't beat a white. Obviously, you're never going to beat a white paddle tail. Yeah, um, yeah. It's like you, you can't really do it. because And that paddle tail vortexing away, is it's going to bring them in from miles away. But some of the places that we fish, I mean, the, the, seas, uh, the biggest fish that we've had guiding uh, was 9.2. Wow. Uh, 74 fish. centimeter fish. Yes, a good fish, 74 centimetres, 
fat, like just holding weight all over him. And that was in the middle of July in 30 centimeters of water. But that day, it could have been the middle of March. And it was cold. It was blowy. It was all the wrong wind direction. And it was top water in super shallow. Oh, really? Um, yeah. The colored water? So, the water was a bit colored, was it? Or Oh, chocolate brown. Chocolate brown stuff. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, so I don't think you need to change your tactics too much for them. If if you really want a fish in that cold water, yeah, go for a paddle tail. And go for... I, I'm a nerd with that stuff. I, we could go on and on of what type of paddle tail and, you know, what are you looking for? But for me, I'd prefer a nice big teed off paddle tail. So um, making lots of just, lots of lots of vibrations out of it. Yeah, so you, you can just go as slow as you like, but it's really pumping that vortex behind it and um, giving lots and lots of signals off for, to come and find it, basically. Yeah, I remember getting a fish a couple of years ago. Actually, was in the upper reaches of an estuary as well, and one of the guys had got a few on bait, and uh, it was kind of windy, uh, westerly, and the water was like it was absolutely chocolatey when I got down. It was like horrible. Um, but uh, as soon as I was there, I said, "Look, at I try, I try a few different things," and I actually threw on a a white um, dolive stick. You know the dolive sticks. Um, yeah, yeah. And I stuck that on anyway, and I was just—I was actually nearly skimming it across the top of the water, and it was kind of half daydreaming, really. And next minute, it was slammed by this fish about ten yards out, and I wasn't expecting it because, to be honest with you, the water was so—it was like chocolatey, especially around the edges. It was horrible, um, but lovely fish, about seven or eight pound, and like there's no way he could have seen it you know it was um the water was just crap so uh that just completely opened up my uh, mind to like okay just because the water's colored it doesn't mean the fish are not there or you can't catch them on lures absolutely and you know you you were saying those lures are silent they're a pintail essentially um and you wouldn't think that they're giving off very much they're slightly ribbed but aside from that there's very little for a big fish to kind of hone in on and i think that just shows how incredible they are at lateral line hunting they really are beyond what we give them credit for um so whilst you asked me how would i do it if i really wanted a fish it would be a paddle tail but absolutely you know an alby snack or a do live or anything like that and even just as you say being them across the top can bring them out creating it's, some uh, cre- creating a bit i was just creating creating a bit of disturbance as you said make a bit of noise be it a top water um a bigger top water make a bit of noise make a bit of disturbance draw them into the area and don't you worry they'll find they'll find your lure they'll find you a hundred percent i mean i possibly to my detriment i fish top water a bit too much but what i've learned is even if that top, even if you can't see it through the white water and it's ducking around and bobbing out and, and, and your retrieve is just barely holding together, before you know it, you just, and you go, holy God, I couldn't even see where the bite came from. And you just see this slight splash within the white water and you're like, God, he found it. They're incredible. Yeah, yeah. Or even, you know, even sometimes you're taken across, even when you say the water is clear and you're taking it across a, a patch of water and you think you can see, you think you can see into the water and there's, it looks like there's nothing there. You're bringing it over sand or whatever. It looks like there's nothing there. Then all of a sudden, bang, out of nowhere, you get nailed. It's amazing. I have learned now just you can't underestimate them. I, even though I've got a good background of spotting fish and it's my job to be out there and I, I tune my eyes in, pretty well and and try and sight fish even through the winter and whatnot um i know that i will miss fish so if you feel that there's a chance that they're there you have to cover it before you you walk over it even if you just cannot see that thing they're, they're like little ghosts at times yeah yeah work yeah yeah you know work work that patch of water even if you can't see it you know if, if it 
you're not going to see them, to be honest with you. Not not most of the time. Anyway. You will see some fish some of the time, but a lot of the time you're not going to see them. It, my fishing yesterday was a prime example. I I know that mark. I've, I've had habitual fish out of that little mark. And the zone is no bigger than half a meter squared where you've got to keep landing that lure. And he's going to have his head behind a bit of bladderack and he's going to be in there. There's only a few places he can be. And I'd covered it. I was on about cast 20 and I'd set the camera up because I knew the chances were likely that there was one. And you see me walk past the camera. I do the whole shrug my shoulders and put my thumb down. And I then at that point, all my watercraft's out the window because I'm pretty sure there's not one. So I'm right up on the water's edge and I'm looking in around the weed. And I flick in again and lo and behold, come tight and you think well where the hell was it yeah (laughs) yeah. how was it there yeah yeah it's brilliant isn't it and you just and then those are the ones that make you go right i know nothing like every time i think one there there could have been and you will not see them all um you must walk through the estuaries and at times and cover and cover and cover and then you walk into the same patch of weed and one you just see a black back and just disappear and you think, oh my God. How did I miss that? Like, yeah, yeah. Now, uh, obviously, uh, any thinking angler is going to start to question exactly what you, how did I miss that? My argument there is that fish was not really there to feed whatsoever. He'd come out of current, surround... If you If you have a look where that scenario unfolds, it's usually in the really thick patch surrounded by quite open sand and he's he's hiding like he's getting cover there you know he's he's he doesn't want to be seen there he's he's in there taking cover is that where we're going a hundred percent and to wake that fish up and get him to feed can be pretty difficult sometimes yeah um you might not even achieve it and and you'll spook that fish thinking oh man i just covered it like 10 times that patch that again is something to just witness how uh, as a guide you you know i'm out there so much that i get to witness their behavior and i'm quite sure at times that they're using areas around the harbor just solely to rest you you can get the reaction bite out of them because they can't resist if that lateral line gets fired you will get them smoke it yeah yeah but at times, I, I've been convinced that I've been out there on days where, you know, I've spooked six or seven fish that are covered methodically. And you think not one of them is eating today, but they're all here. Yeah, 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 yeah. There was something you said, actually, I'm just thinking to me about, you know, the sun. You really depend on the UV and the sun to really kind of switch on the estuaries and they won't. They won't be looking up. Um, it just got me thinking because I was out last week or two, and last week actually one particular day, I try, I'd say I tried four top water lures over this particular channel, you know, and I could see there was fish moving. I could see fish moving, and there was a bit of activity, and not not a touch. But as soon as I, sw- I just switched on a little, I threw on a little sandy lure, little small profile sandy lure and second cast, bang. And that was two separate days I did the same thing, you know, because obviously, I'm, like yourself, I was fixated on the surface lures and I just wanted a bit of action off the top. But um, but three, four, four different surface lures. But as soon as I switched on that little um, little sandy lure, bang, the fish took it. Um, so what I'm thinking from talking to you is, wait maybe wait until we get a bit of sunshine and if you had a couple of days good sunshine on the estuary do you think that might bring it on a bit it's in its very simplest form yeah i mean as i said uv is the king catalyst and if you've got a couple of other kind of variables in your favor so you might be on an increasing tidal pattern and that uv has been breaking down the the tide line for the, the last couple of days so you've got quite a rich warm shoreline that's not been touched for a little while um then that can be exactly what you need um that's that's essentially what watercraft is isn't it it's it's reading what's around you and then reacting to it in accordance to what you're seeing to get the bite um whatever you have to do to do that if you have to swap over to a soft plastic if you have to um 
kind of accept that you're not going to get those fish because it's too clear and, and calm, but you might get them an hour later when they're feeding in current and they're, they're, they're in the zone. Like you've got to read it all the time and, and then change your approach. Um, but yeah, sometimes you, you can absolutely feel like there's nothing there. And then you put a soft plastic on early season and you realize that they're just not, their metabolism's lower, their whole, they're not as fired up as well. So Marcus, um, coming to the end of the time now, and I really appreciate you joining me for this chat. You know, as I said, you know, we've had lots of requests to get you on and I've really enjoyed your videos and your posts. And as I said at the start, you're so enthusiastic and knowledgeable. So thanks very much for giving me your time. Um, and I hope you'll join us again at some stage, maybe later in the year. It would be a pleasure. And thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to jump on. I, I hope that the listeners kind of take a little bit from it. Um, fish a lot more top water and put in some of those kind of thought processes of how to get the bite and all of that stuff. And then change your mindset, go and look for those big fish in silly places and have fun. That's, that's the main thing that we're doing out there. You, we're not doing this because we have to, we're doing it solely to relax and have fun. And um, it's it's an adventure. Yeah, get out there. Ah, brilliant, Mar Marcus. Look, thanks very much, and we'll be in touch and uh, tight lines. Thank you ever so much.